Welcome to the Got Your Six podcast. This podcast brings together current service members and veteran high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the boardroom. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash, and into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. Sixers, what an unbelievable treat we have. Will Huff, Director of Partnerships for Soldiers to Sidelines, an incredible organization that takes military spouses, service members, and applies them with the tools that they need to be effective coaches in our communities all over the country. Will, thank you so much for coming on the Got Your Six podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Tony. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we were talking before we got started with the episode about how you've been a part of so many different teams, whether it was as a D1 athlete playing football for Army or collegiate lacrosse also for Army, um, you know, different elite organizations that you've been a part of over your 23-year career in the military. Would you say that there's like one thing that you take away from that time that you constantly implement on a day-to-day basis? Yes. And I think the essence is just be a good teammate. Whether that's as a family member, be a good teammate, whether that's a member of your community, the organization that you're a a part of, certainly in the military, you know, be a good teammate, ask what is required for you to do, you know, remain humble. But at the end of the day, it's all the elements of a good teammate. And that's applied, whether it's on an actual sport team or what I consider a more important team, and that's your military team. And then every service member's career ends at some point and they're going to join another organization and if they continue on with reminding themselves on a daily basis what it takes to be a good teammate nobody's perfect but if we use it as our aspirational goals i think we'll we'll achieve the level of standards that we will look back to with a with a certain amount of pride now as we look at transitioning from different teams a team like you mentioned and there is definitely a universal shared understanding, like you said, communication, trust, respect. What has helped you to ask the questions as you come onto a new team? Because sometimes that's intimidating, right? You come into a new organization or you come back into an organization, say you're transitioning from the military back to being around your family full-time. What has helped you? Is it questions that you've asked or is there something else that you think really helps that transitional piece between the different teams or even just going from unit to unit? Yeah. Again, another great question that I think applies across the different spectrums that we've talked about. Athletics, your professional life, whether that's in the military or not, and your personal family life or just your your social network. And I would say one is you know proximity to those you want to connect with. There is a certain benefit of just being there. And when I say being there, you know, communicate to the best of your ability. You know, some people are introverts, some people are extrovert, just be authentic, um, try, try to be there. And once again, this overall theme of, you know, we're all going to come up short of the ideal behavior, but if we keep those things in mind, I think that that really helps us with these transitioning. And then when you talk about showing up in a new organization, a new team, whatever that is, people will see if you are 
one, a good teammate, two, authentic. But then I think a, another key component is, you know, have you prepared for success in whatever you're doing? You know, oftentimes, certainly in the military, we're now, when we go to a new organization, we may be in a job of increased uh, responsibility that requires that professionalism of understanding your, your given craft and have you put forth the hours. And, you know, there's a great book that I read recently by, by Tom Coughlin, and it's talked about uh, earn the right to win. And of course, he's talking about football. Um, but he talks about have you put in the work where you've earned the right? And to me, that that resonated. And you and I had the shared experience as being field artillerymen. And you know, for example, many of us uh, field artillery officers, not field artillerymen, as we know, it, it's a uh, diversified branch. But as as gunners, as I like to affectionately call us, as gunners, there's an expectation of understanding your your craft. And uh, I would say that allows you to gain acceptance into that team when you're able to demonstrate a mastery of the task that you're expected to uh, perform for the, for the team. So whether that's as an athlete, whether that's as a, a professional service member, or certainly whatever your chosen career is, is you know the amount of time that you put into mastering your, your craft that you were brought in, that you're expected to do, it gives you one confidence and then two that leads to acceptance. And then you really start to be able to influence in a positive way, whatever organization or a team that you're a part of. And that's not easy. And sometimes like you talked about, right, you're, you're leveling up to a team. So you're going from, you know, being the big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a much bigger pond. How have you gone through your career, both on the military side and the civilian side of being able to kind of check your ego, knowing that you continue to hone your craft, but also not being afraid to ask hard questions or saying, hey, I really don't understand this. Like what helps you kind of almost check yourself or find that humility as you move up from team to team? That's a great question. And, you know, immediately I had two initial thoughts because I experienced them as a young, you know, young lieutenant. And my first assignment was in the Berlin Brigade, which doesn't even exist today, but we were an independent battery. Uh, within a almost a hybrid organization, and all three of my FOs were all Desert Storm combat veterans, and you know everybody sees that right patch, especially if you imagine it's 1992, um, and I I truly understood and respected their experiences, and I was so eager to hear their hear their stories and learn from that, and that and that was important because I never felt threatened by it. And I always thought that because I was so eager to hear from them, and I don't mean just the classic war stories, they're always entertaining, uh, but really understanding how did they incorporate their, their skills as a forward observer, each had unique experiences in their, uh, in their experience in Desert Storm. And then it was very similar. You know, my, my follow-on assignment was as a fire support officer in 3rd Ranger Battalion, and it was Bravo Company. That was the company that had just returned from Somalia. And there again, all three of my forward observers were, I mean, true heroes, you know, Silver Star winner, two Bronze Stars with Vs. They were incredible. And they were so eager to teach me everything. And, you know, I was just a sponge soaking that in. And um, to me, that was you know, showing eagerness to learn from others. And at the same time, there was an expectation, you know, for me to, to again, I, I use this term, master my craft. I remember the first meeting, they were like, memorize everything here. 
in these books uh, because we have to, you know, you have to know everything from a technical standpoint and then to be able to incorporate the art of fire support. And that was the expectation. And uh, yeah, so I learned it early and each assignment had its own unique, you know, challenges because then my follow on after that was to the 82nd Airborne where, again, the 82nd has this great history and especially the airborne component of it, you know, jumping out of an airplane and putting a howitzer into action to me is super exciting, but there was a lot for me to learn. I hadn't experienced that before, uh, but once again, it was, a, it was a culture, an organizational culture that was eager to teach people. And uh, I was eager to learn. So that's what I would, you know, again, recommend folks going in uh, while there's an understanding of you to be personally committed, you'll find a great, this team of teams that is always willing to share knowledge. And I think that's a great strength of, of the military as a learning organization. And that sounds great philosophically, but that really means is a bunch of NCOs that are very committed to sharing their, their craft with both the soldiers that they coach, teach, and mentor, as well as the officers that they mentor in, in, a, in a different way. I mean, there's clear understanding, you know, as the officer, you are accepting a lot of responsibility ultimately. And every NCO that I experienced was always fully committed to the, to the team and making sure the organization succeeded. I love that culture of a learning organization, and especially as a coach coming into an organization, right? You have to kind of understand the balance of being a teammate with the other coaches, as well as being a leader. What coach stands out in your mind that you've kind of learned from and that you kind of emulate a lot from when you apply what you do with soldiers at sidelines? Yeah, great question, Tony. I, I was immediately thinking of some examples that I personally experienced. And, you know, it started with my high school football coach that between my sophomore year and my junior year, he had run a very traditional wing. Well, it was the T formation offense. You know, it was the, it was the way the center snaps right to the running back and the quarterback is really what we would call a blocking fullback and very, his father had great success and we only had moderate success with it, but he was humble enough to transform to the wing T, which although now people would call that a, you know, very traditional but for us in my high school, it was actually a bit of an evolution and we achieved great success. But he was humble enough to bring in somebody who was an expert on, on the offense, uh, to run the offense. And that allowed us to have great success. You know, I, I'm really proud that we were 19 and one my last two years. And, you know, that offense allowed a bunch of uh, maybe not super athletes, but very passionate and disciplined football players to achieve great, great success. So I learned that from my my high school football coach. And then in college, uh, another great example, um, Coach Jim Young, who had had great success at Arizona, Purdue University, and had taken the job at Army and had really brought with him his pro style offense, you know, that had produced results at the Big Ten. And then ultimately he went to the option and the wishbone. That was before my time, but that's a, a, another example. Then it was a time where he tweaked the defense that we had at Army. So I saw firsthand, you know, coaches that were willing to assess and say, okay, what I was doing was not working. I need to adapt to the environment, whether that's the environment of your own capacity within your players or the capacity of your adversary. And I think that, you know, translated further on into my military career, especially in the post 9-11 environment between Iraq and Afghanistan, you actually had a thinking enemy 
And, you know, the organizations that succeeded had to be continual learning and adapting and I'd have leaders that were willing to say what we had traditionally done, let's say in pre-deployment training or what they had always rehearsed that I was a product of those peacetime 90s where, you know, we had great training environments that really taught us how to think, not what to think. And I'm a, maybe a minority in my peers that I thought really, even though JRTC and NTC, CMTC were all based on a uh, more of a higher end threat, they were really problem solving exercises. So I learned it continually, both in sports and in the army to adapt, to learn. So to answer your question, it was both my high school and my college coaches adapted to the situation. And then while I was in the army, I saw it numerous times with folks that were humble enough to realize that they had to refine, not, not drastically change, they had to apply the principles to the environment that we were currently in. I absolutely love that you've been able to pull kind of the same thread, but at just at different levels where you were in your lifetime. So you had Coach Young at West Point uh, at Army. I don't think you mentioned, we got to shout out your high school football coach. Oh, Tom Howard. Coach Howard. So you got Coach Howard, Coach Young. Recognizing something that I think sometimes we miss, right, is there needs to be a paradigm shift before crisis occurs. So we kind of, they were able to kind of see, hey, this isn't working right now. We can continue to try to pursue down this path, but it doesn't look like it's going to be worth it to make meaningful players. I really loved with Coach Howard, you know, they were great football players, but it was, he was teaching boys to be men and really looking at that success off the field. And then kind of transitioning is, what are you working on now to continue to develop yourself as a coach as well as the other coaches you continue to surround yourself with? For myself, every every day is so inspirational for me because as you mentioned, Tony, you know, the purpose of Soldiers of the Sidelines is to enable and, and to support veteran service members, military spouses, as well as starting this month with the, our Gold Star families that all have access to our free resources to assist them in becoming character-based coaches to work in their community. And although we are some specific sport lines of effort like football, basketball, lacrosse, sport performance is more generic. And next month in August, I'm sorry, two months, we're going to have our first adaptive sport coaching effort. And what we have in there and 60% of our, our curriculum is all about the high human skills of coaching, you know, communicating, assessing, understanding your team and how to inspire them. So I would call it, you know, we might call it back in the military, the soft skills of, of, of coaching. And then that other 40% is going to be very sports specific, you know, how it means to develop individual skills, collective skills, and everything required to be a, be a successful coach. And for me to be a part of that is so inspiring because, you know, there were several, uh, what we would call soldier coaches that influenced me through my youth. I mean, my first youth lacrosse coach was a Korean war veteran with a prosthetic and imagine 1975 prosthetics. Um, and he had the old wooden stick that he had, you know, the same drills that he taught me in 1975. I was sharing this with some of my teammates were the same basic skills that I used through high school and at, and at army under Jack Emmer. So imagine, you know, 16 years of my lacrosse playing the first 30, 45 minutes were always the same, whether I was a eight year old or whether I was a 23 year old. 
And that just shows, you know, one of the themes that I mentioned was the understanding the principles because mastering the basic skills is appropriate as an athlete. And going back to Tom Coughlin, you have to earn the right to win. You have to master those uh, individual skills. And that's certainly true, as you know, in our profession of arms. You have to have a mastery of those skills. So when you have to, when you're asked to perform tasks in a high stress environment, they become somewhat second nature and you're able just to conduct those individual uh, requirements, just like a, a trained athlete. As you go through and you continue to master those basic skills, how do you keep yourself engaged? Because sometimes it can become monotonous, right? You want these to become second nature skills but you also want to make sure that you don't get complacent while training those basic skills. Yeah, that that's great. And I think um, there's a lot of dynamic trainers out there. I am probably not one of them, admittingly. So I guess I just am, am simple enough that I have been able to you know, stay focused during those individual mastery levels. Uh, and I understand it, it's a challenge. Now, I'll just share my own. So while the majority of my effort is on supporting our soldier coaches recruiting, gaining our financial support that we need as a nonprofit organization. I also coach uh, a U13 and a, and a U15 rugby team, and I'm learning a, a heck of a lot. So although I've played rugby you know, since 1992, the more I coach, the more I realize that I don't truly understand the game. And it's been a tremendous coaching journey for myself. You know, I've been doing it for almost a year. And I think I'm getting better at it. Uh, but a lot of these questions I ask myself routinely, you know, and, and I'm trying to, and one of the things that I've recently done is give the players ownership of, of the individual skills where, you know, it's now a player led session. And that was something because, you know, rugby is unique in that it's, it's a, it's a player centric sport. You know, it's unlike American football where the coaches call every you know, every play is predetermined <laughs> and players just line up in the right space and they know what they have to do. And it's a great sport, uh, but it's really different than, than rugby, which is much more fluid. And I learned that because of my own playing experience, I was in a job that was very, very uh, critical, but simple. Basically run after the ball, tackle it, you know, crash into a guy as soon as possible. And I didn't understand the big aspect of the game. So I, in my own coaching journey, I am being forced to, you know, read books, watch videos, constantly talk to people and really be aware of those cues that I'm getting from, from my players, you know, and because the one team is 10, 11, 12 year olds, you know, if you don't keep their attention, they're going to give you those, those cues that you've lost them because they're just not going to pay attention. And instead of getting upset with, you know, at first I had this urge to think, boy, these kids aren't, you know, they're not disciplined enough. I didn't say that, but I, 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 I thought it for a moment. And I really said, no, it's on me. The job of my job as the coach is to keep them engaged, to keep them entertained, to challenge them, but not to the point where they're losing confidence. Uh, so, you know, we, we emphasize a lot of those basic principles with soldiers, to sidelines and, you know, Harrison Bernstein, our founder and executive director constantly highlights that really soldier, soldier, the sidelines, just part of your journey. Because we get a wide variety of experience on our soldier coach demographic. We have some that have been coaching their, their particular sport, sometimes 30 years. And our, the way our seminars are, are designed, that the 30-year professional will get something out of it. 
And this is, and the reason we, we know that is we have this feedback loop where they fill out the, the anonymous uh, after action review. So we get to read everything, candid feedback. So we know for a fact that seasoned coaches get something out of it. The very novice coach, like I would consider myself a novice rugby coach, they get something out of it. And then everybody in between, and it's just part of the, the longer journey. And that's something that we're really proud with, with Soldier the Sidelines is having this initial entry point, facilitating coaches to find where they want to coach. You know, 98% of our soldier coaches are at the scholastic community level, but we're really excited about those, you know, the one percenters that want to coach at the higher level and we're doing what we can. So whether it's somebody like me coaching part-time, very, you know, youth under 13, we have coaches coaching even, even younger athletes or those that want to make it a full-time, you know, we think that we can provide, or we know that we're providing value added to them. And why do we know that? Because that's the feedback loop that we're getting. And understanding that feedback loop and something that I think is so essential in coaching that it is done, but what I don't think often talked about is the reflection, right? There's always tape that you got to go watch and looking at film because once you step into the arena, whatever it may be, you have to reflect on that because there's great wins and there's also very low lows and failure. Could you talk about a time where you had failure just brutally kind of crush you but has led to just enormous success that you couldn't see in the moment? Yeah, that that's a great question. And, you know, I immediately think back to some of the military experience, of course. And, you know, anytime when you're in that arena where you know, consequences are the ultimate, you always have time to, to reflect. So in that case, you know, when you reflect on any time you've had the loss of a, you know, a, a fallen hero and you start to assess you know, what are the things that we could have done different to mitigate, you know, the risk to the individual while accomplishing the mission, you know, that, that has been some real soul searching, uh, opportunities and, you know, not something that you like to do often, but I think a great way to honor the fallen is that you learn from those incident, those incidents and that you as an organization get better. And, you know, there was, there was one case, um, you know, where we had lost a, a paratrooper two on direct fire. And when we were reflecting on, you know, how the situation developed, uh, there was an internal awareness that maybe some of the basic principles of fire superiority, use of obscuration, you know, understanding how to defeat an obstacle. You know, when I uh, was a young officer, we used to talk a lot about the saucer drill when you uh, defeat an obstacle, which is suppress, obscure, secure, reduce, you know, very traditional. And, and that principle, uh, you know, may not have been followed fully in this, in this incident. And the result was, you know, the enemy always has a vote and, and there were two casualties. And it just so happened that uh, almost immediately after that incident where we had fatalities, we were given another situation very similar and, uh, and that platoon leader did a phenomenal job and like instantaneous within 48 hours had really understood how he could perform even better and did an amazing job and very successful. Uh, so that's one that comes to mind where, and it wasn't that, that initial operation wasn't well led and planned and thought out, but there was areas to improve and we were able to do that right away. 
And certainly while that would never take back our fallen, you know, paratroopers as an organization, you know, demonstrating uh, that, that the unit was more than capable. They were a phenomenal, small, you know, tactical formation. To me, that was a, that was an example of identifying, going through that hard self-assessment, recognizing what needed to be done at, at, at a few different levels, and then having the, the opportunity to, uh, I don't want to say re- retrain. That's not the appropriate term to actually have success against a very, you know, active thinking adversary within a forty-eight hour period. I think was was important. So that that was one example. As we wrap up, and we've covered so much today in this episode, I have one last question for you. So, Will Huff, how are you better today than yesterday? I am communicating better. I am commu- I am listening more. What does that look like to you? How do you how do you do that? Like what's the thought process that kind of goes into that where you can just be in the moment? I think by by nature, I'm one of those communicators that while somebody is speaking to me, I'm I'm already formulating either my response or a solution to the problem that I haven't even heard yet fully described. You know, that's just my nature and and now I am aware of that. So trying to you know fully listen to the question or not try to have an immediate solution to whatever the topic is, but to spend a little more time on the reflection, the problem solving, the framework, um, because I think by nature and certainly many of us in a deployed environment, you know this this kind of rapid response, rapid thinking is rewarded, and you start to operate that way, and then. I think at least I struggle with turning that off when you're in an environment that doesn't require immediate decision-making, doesn't require, and I would call it hasty, uh, but I don't mean poor decision. It just means without proper deliberate analysis or, or reflection or, or just listening. <laughs> and that, you know, whether it's my family or friends or you know, work-related, so that's what I'm trying to get better at is communicating, listening fully and not responding unless it's required or it's appropriate. And I know that's very hard on an interview kind of show like this. So I thought you did a great job, right? (laughs) You understanding the environment and then allowing yourself to embrace the silence sometimes is something that we can all work on and just allowing for that pause or even just saying, let me think about that for a second. Will, thank you so much for your time today. Before we do go though, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about Soldiers to Sidelines? Yeah, thanks, Tony. We have a website at www.soldiers2sidelines.org. Through that website, folks can reach out to our team, including myself. They can learn about our free resources for service members, veterans, military spouses, and Gold Star families. And they can learn about ways to getting involved, either as at the individual level or if they're a part of an organization that gets behind, you know, veteran uh, causes. And certainly ours is unique because we are focused. We, we are niche. And I mean that as a compliment in that we are f- purely focused on transitioning and uh, supporting their entry into character-based coaches to serve in their community. Well, again, absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing your methods, your strategies, your ideas, your tactical and actionable advice. And most importantly, Thanks for having our six. Appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Got Your Six podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share with a friend, pass it along. 
you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the Gotcha Six Podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers, but the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members.